and welcome to this week's episode from A Lancashire Lass with me, Lucy Baxter. I feel really privileged to have spoken to Steve Saul, a top BBC journalist and presenter. He is so inspirational and humble, but also he's such a lovely person. I hope you enjoy. Today, I'm really excited to say that I'm joined by one of the most loved BBC journalists in the Northwest region. Steve Saul presents the news in our area, and I'm really looking forward to chatting to him about his journey. He is a local lad from Preston, so I thought it'd be great to have him on my podcast. First of all, Steve, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule. I know you've literally just come off the news. Um, so thanks a lot. How are you today? Uh, you're welcome. It's nice to see you. Um, I'm all right, thank you. It's uh... It's strange that we're living in at the minute, aren't we? But um, we're coping. Yeah, I've just done the lunchtime news on BBC One. I've just scooted upstairs, um, got some chips and beans, wolfed them down, and here I am talking to you now. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Why don't you start off by sort of telling us the journey you came on to become a journalist? I've always kind of been interested in TV and radio, uh, especially growing up I was one of those kids who was more fascinated with the bits in between the programs um, rather than the programs themselves um, the, the idents the tv logos the the news music the theme tunes things like that and um, radio jingles it's a bit anoraki but that's what kind of sparked my interest in it um, so I always thought I would like to do something like that but whether in reality, my life would span out like that. I wasn't so sure coming from a working class background with my dad working at British Aerospace in Preston before it closed and then moved to Salmsbury. Um, so, you know, I have very working class roots. So, you know, a career like this was very alien to my parents. So, you know, I had to kind of make my own way and get my own opportunities to do it because it's just not within their skill sets. Clearly very supportive and very helpful, but not you know, within, the, within their skill sets. So one of the first things that I remember is that my, my gran, actually, who used to live near Deepdale, near Preston North End Stadium, just a couple of streets back, um, she arranged for me. I can't remember how old I would be to go for a look around what was then Red Rose Radio before it split into Rock FM and the various versions of the station that ended up broadcasting on 999 Medium Wave. Um, so I had a look around there. That was nice. It was interesting to see. Um, then um, my dad wrote to a radio presenter called John Myers, who's sadly no longer with us. He, he died of a heart attack, uh, I think, about 18 months ago. Um, he was one of the bosses there, a big influential figure within radio and he used to do a Sunday morning program on what was then Red Rose so it was the John Myers and Gladys show um so a bit of like fun on the phones and joking around but they used to have an invited studio audience so me and my dad went in and sat in the studio and watched the program go out and little squeaky me got to read out a, a request on the radio for my school friends uh, at the time so I was bitten by the bug then and I knew I wanted to do something like that. When um, work experience came around at school, um, I couldn't get a work placement at then Rock FM. Uh, so I ended up going to work uh, for two weeks at the Lancashire Evening Post, mm -hmm. which was very insightful and very interesting. But I knew that I wanted to do something uh, in radio because uh, then it was more immediate. 
at the time. It makes me sound ancient, but I'm not ancient. There was no internet. Um, it was just the paper. It was very slow getting the news out. There was no web or anything like that. So I like the immediacy of radio. So <clears throat> long story short, uh, I did uh, some hospital radio, uh, some other little bits of community radio type things, and then um, ended up helping out at Rock FM at the weekends. Then from Rock FM, did you sort of study radio or TV at uni or did you, how did you then get into sort of the BBC? Well, <clears throat> I kind of I glossed over a, a little bit there. Um, so um, although I didn't get my schoolwork experience at Rock FM, I ended up arranging my own kind of work experience during the summer holidays. Mm-hmm. possibly when I was about oh gosh it's either 14 or 15 something like that went in for a week um spent all the time in different departments sat in on shows people like John Gilmore Gilly um Simon Ross who's now on breakfast on greatest hits the you know radio legends from the northwest yeah. fantastic people to watch and, and learn from um so went in all the different departments the sales team the traffic team you know, commercial production it was great but then went into the newsroom and I don't know what it was. I just got bitten by a bug because news hadn't been on my agenda at that point. I just kind of <laughs> fancied being on the radio or fancied doing something in radio. Went into the newsroom. Um, Richard Frediani had not long left to go to IRN in London, but uh, the colleagues that he had been working with were, were still around. And kind of newsrooms have changed so much in the time that I've been working, but... Uh, back then there was big reel-to-reel tape machines dot matrix printers spewing out reports sent from London um, cart machines kind of like eight track cart machines where you'd record the audio onto and the, kind of the smell of the place as well lots of newspaper there was obviously <laughs> there was no internet so everything was um, at newspaper clippings and cuttings yeah. were stored in big filing cabinets so I don't know why it was just a kind of intoxicating mix that drew me in and I asked the news editor at the time if I could come in and help out at the weekends and just like open the post used to get bags of post at the weekend full of council agendas and press releases and stuff Um, and they said oh yes we do need a weekend receptionist so I came at the weekend to open the post and make teas and just amazing to work for some fabulous people and just learn from them just being in the room and talking to them people like Georgina Bowman who went on to Radio 1 Newsbeat and is now one of the editors at Newsround um, Matt O'Donoghue, Tim Daly, Sharon Hartley, you know, r- familiar names of Rock FM at the time. Uh, Sharon Thomas, who's on ITV News now. Just, you know, the, the start of their careers, really. They were only young then, but so skilled and, you know, amazing just to absorb <laughs> their presence and learn from them. And gradually over time, they let me kind of start writing copy. And um, then eventually I was allowed to voice a report on the radio. And um, there was one morning when the sports editor didn't turn up for various reasons. So I ended up reading the sports news on Red Rose Gold, as it was at the time. So that was my first live bulletin. Um, So that was going on on the weekends. I also started volunteering at Chorley Hospital Radio, did Chorley Hospital Radio and um, (laughs) Debenhams Network Radio. So Debenhams and Preston used to have its own in-store radio station run by a guy called Brett Harley. And they used to have their own little radio station on the lower ground floor opposite the escalators back then behind the Dorothy Perkins counter. And um, every Saturday morning we did live radio programs to the Debenhams store. 
apart from the third floor where they didn't like it on the third floor um we just used to play um songs and and mess about so um i i was so lucky to get the experience that i did um did my gcse's at school uh, then went on to cardinal newman college in preston did my a levels there um then started doing an undergraduate journalism course at uclan in preston um I did a year, or just nearly a year, and then I got offered the chance of a full-time job at Rock FM. So I was faced with a dilemma. Do I stay on the course, a course that I'm only doing to try and get a job, yeah. or here I am being offered the chance to have a job? So I was worried about not having any kind of university-style qualifications. So EMAP at the time, the, they were the company that ran Rock FM. They'd been subsequently taken over by Bauer. Um, they were really kind and they paid for me to do, um, I was the first person in the country to do a um, broadcast journalism NVQ level five, which is kind of points equivalent to a degree, which was on the job training. And then they released me to go to UCLan to do the law and the social policy parts of the post broadcast journalism course. Um, so I started off on a low salary but they paid for all that training. So I was so lucky. And in the meantime, working with great people in the newsroom too. So that's how I started. Um, I spent a couple of years working full-time at Rock FM in the newsroom, doing all sorts from reading bulletins on Rock FM, doing stuff on the medium wave station, presenting the news programme, working on the sports programme, reporting, going out about meeting people. It was just I can't tell you, it was the best place to work. And I don't think wherever I work ever again, I'll have such a great experience. St. Paul's Church in Preston. Yeah. It may seem to other people in the media, this just kind of almost tiny local radio station. But Chris Mason, the BBC's political reporter, recently described on the Radio Today podcast, um, he was listening from his home in North Yorkshire, how Rock FM of the time made Preston sound like Las Vegas. It was just such a brilliant place to be because we had all the bands come in. I remember when Take That came in, Boyzone came in, Westlife came in, and we were swamped by thousands of people in the car park. Um, it was just brilliant. And even if you weren't working, this was before I had kids and a family, you'd still go in on your days off or even when you're on holiday because you just wanted to be with your mates you were with your mates and I think that friendliness of the building spilled out onto the onto the radio and made it such a brilliant radio station for Preston which unfortunately sometimes loses out to bigger places like Manchester and and Liverpool but just made Preston hit out and stand out from the crowd so I spent time there um then they started to make some changes to the way the station was run from head office and they wanted um, the presenters of the radio station to read the news. They got rid of the sports programme. As part of the general evolving trends of commercial radio, you know, it's sad, but I don't have a problem with it. That's how commercial radio has developed over the years. And that was a business decision. And I, I get it. So they started to trim back on a lot of stuff. So I thought then my time was right to try to make a move, perhaps. And um, I ended up getting a job at BBC Radio Leeds, uh, reading the network news in the evening on BBC Radio Leeds, Sheffield, Cumberside in York. It was a thing called the Night Network, and they would share their news bulletins in the evening from seven o'clock. So I'd read bulletins from seven at night through to midnight on those four, four stations. It was a part-time job, but I was paid a bit more than I was paid at Rock FM for working fewer days. So it kind of made sense, really. So that's how I got into the BBC at yeah. Radio Leeds. 
Yeah, and um, like you were saying about Rock FM, like it's it's not it's not aired now in the church. It's moved to Manchester, hasn't it? Um, mm. But yeah, every time I drive past, I'd always be like, it for me, it's been such a local and such a big radio station growing up. So I think like partly it's sad it's moved from there, but um, it is it's really amazing to see like that's where you started. Um, so you work at the moment at. Uh, BBC Northwest today and is it also Radio Manchester a bit as well? Well so I spent uh, a couple of years in Leeds maybe three or four years in Leeds doing the night bulletin so my shift was always starting at half past four in the afternoon and finishing at midnight so it was quite an anti-social shift yeah. and now remember this is the first time I'd also moved away from home as well and away from Preston so um, I didn't have any social life at Radio Leeds. It was a lovely place to be. I loved reading the bulletins and doing the programmes that I did at Radio Leeds, but I needed to get back to this side of the Pennines to be mm. A, closer to home, have a shift that works in the daytime. And I wanted to get on with my life. You know, I wanted to start building a life. And if I'd stayed at Radio Leeds, I mean, probably would have been the opportunity to move away from the shifts that I was doing. I just wanted to get home to this side of the Pennines. Leeds is actually, and dare I say this as a Lancastrian, but it's a brilliant city to be and it's changed even more so in the past recent years it's a fantastic compact city brilliant but at the time I was homesick I wanted to get back onto the the right side of the Pennines um so um as it happens the boss of Radio Leeds a great guy fantastic radio guy called John Ryan um had gone on uh, an attachment or like a secondment to Radio Manchester or GMR as it was at the time and he, ended, he eventually, eventually ended up staying. Uh, he knew that I wanted to come back to the side of the Pennines. Um, so there was a job to like a short attachment in the newsroom. Uh, I applied for it and, uh, and got it with the, they wanted me to come on and make some changes within the, the GMR newsroom at the time. John went on to relaunch GMR as Radio Manchester. Uh, and I was uh, the kind of senior news bulletin reader for three or four years. I ended up presenting their drive time news programme, which is a programme called Manchester Now. I think I did everything at the station from reporting, presenting, acting news editor for a while, um, <laughs> cleaning up, chief cook and bottle washer, uh, everything is just, again, another great place to be. Um, but there was always the, the draw of telly and it's something that had always been at the back of my mind since I was 14, but I'd kind of written it off. Mm -hmm. I didn't think it would be something I would ever get to do. Now, radio is my first love and will be always my first love. It's uncomplicated, it's straightforward, it's fantastic, it's easy. You can have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with a person listening to you. But there was just something about telly that I thought, oh, I'd like to have a go at that, but never thought it would ever happen. When I was at Radio Leeds, I had a couple of trial goes at reading some TV bulletins in the studio at Leeds at Look North. And, you know, the feedback was all right, but it was like kind of, yeah, don't call us, don't, we'll call you type thing. <laughs> but luckily over here in the BBC in the Northwest, they had this fantastic little scheme where every year someone from Northwest Tonight, uh, Northwest Tonight would take someone from the BBC Northwest local radio stations as almost like an apprentice and train them up and give them TV skills and they'd show you how to edit video. And, and there was never the guarantee of, reading bulletins on the screen but it was something that I pushed for because it's just something I wanted to go at and I thought 
you know, if I get to do one bulletin, it will be a tick list. It will be, you know, fantastic. Um, but I pushed and I managed to get a go and they thought it was all right. And they bird with me and gave me a bit of coaching. And Eleanor Moritz, who does the breakfast bulletins in the morning from BBC Northwest, she gave me some one-on-one coaching. She's brilliant uh, at that sort of thing and helped me learn TV presentation skills. Um, and it's kind of grown from there, really, from doing Northwest Night Breakfast bulletins, the lunchtime news, the late bulletins, weekend stuff, as well as reporting, producing, doing social media. Um, so I was looking to get that one year kind of apprenticeship and again, yeah. taught by some brilliant people, Dave Guest, Stuart Flinders, Peter Marshall, uh, and the people that you still see on screen now for Northwest Tonight, just people that I watched when I was growing up suddenly helping me learn skills and then me helping them learn new digital skills and um, get Northwest Tonight's digital offering uh, up and running, which is something else that I've, I, I do when I'm not on the telly. So, um, yeah, I'm very, very lucky and I, I still pinch myself every time I, I sit in the studio or sit on the red sofa and just think I can't actually believe I'm here. It is a bit bizarre, really. Yeah, I was going to ask, do you remember the first time you presented Northwest Today or Northwest Tonight when you were sort of sat there on the red sofa? Did you, do you have a memory of thinking like, wow, I'm actually here? Um, I can't believe it. Like, do you, do you have that sort of memory of that first um, time? I think if you look at my YouTube channel, if you search it out, you'll see one of my first breakfast bulletins that I did. I can't watch it because I've got a wobbly head. I'm kind of all over the place and I don't know it, it, you could tell I'm nervous but just that horrible moment at 6.25 when the director was counting down in my ear you know breakfast to what they call handing to the regions and I can't even time for the news travel and where you are and then the camera in the big studio pulls out and the music plays and then you just get a, a cue your heart is just in your sleep it, you know it, it just falls through the floor mm -hmm. you just want to get that first story the first thing out of the way and then you can kind of relax into it a little bit. It's that first hello, good morning, and then you get into it. Yeah. Then it's fine. And then you just need to worry about getting out cleanly at the end and opting back to the program. Yeah, terrifying is the mo is the word for that. Um, <laughs> now, and and I think it's always good to have nerves. I think anybody who gets a bit complacent with it, you know, is setting themselves up for a fall. So there's always a bit of a butterfly in your stomach. You never know quite what's going to happen. So you've just got to go with it and. Have a bit of nerves i think it leads to a better better performance but yeah and we have two studios so the breakfast bulletins for northwest today are in a little tiny studio around the corner yeah. it's the main bbc breakfast program we share the main studio with it so they're on the big red sofa in the morning so we're sat on a, a little studio around the corner but the first time i sat on the red sofa that was also quite daunting with the floor manager and there's six or seven cameras around you and and, you know, this is a proper studio and you think, oh, my goodness, what am I doing? It's almost lots of people talk about imposter syndrome and I have it. You know, I, I really, you know, don't think I should be there. And <laughs> it's just one of those things you're always it's an internal monologue that you have with yourself that I'm not good enough. And yet there you are, you sat there and, and you're reading it. And I know I'm very lucky to be there and hundreds of people would probably die for the same opportunity. It's just so bizarre. It is bizarre. You're just talking out loud in an empty room, but knowing that, you know, 750,000 people could be watching. Yeah, there's no pressure there then. I think that's <laughs> so inspiring though, because um, 
like me being where I am studying journalism and then sort of hearing you sort of with that it's good to get nervous and that I think when I had to present and it was um the, the Manchester City were playing a football match against that German team with that really long name um, <laughs> Manu uh, uh, Gladbach. Yes, and I had to, I read it phonetically and in my head, I was reading the bit before and I was just thinking in my head like, oh my gosh, I hope I get this right. And um, that, like, That's the worst thing I have to say. That is the worst thing. Football teams, football players, I'm not a huge sports fan. I press the north end of my team off the telly and off the air. But um, <laughs> when it comes to anything else, you know, I have a, a, a news interest in sport, but I'm not going to sporty, sporty interest in sport, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so when you come across sporty sporting teams and footballers and tennis players with long fancy names I just think oh dear am I going to say this and the great thing about radio is you can write it out on your script phonetically you can write it however you want yeah. but on the telly you're looking at the camera and you're trying to have to say it with confidence and you, you can write it phonetically as you can but the auto script for the auto cue is not very wide so you can't you can't split it up too much so you just hopefully say it with confidence and hopefully get it right yeah yeah um so are you quite a confident person from like when you were younger as well and because obviously I feel like being on telly and presenting on the radio you need to have like a confident persona would you say you have that no 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 I am not a confident person I really am not um I mean, this is intimidating enough answering questions, let alone um, <laughs> asking the questions. Um, this is very unusual for me. Um, it's funny. I just, I'll tell you a story. Right at the start of the pandemic, March last year, um, I'd been following COVID coming. So we use a system at work, a, a system called Open Media, which we get wire services from different news agencies like Reuters and Press Association and... <laughs> AFP, all these foreign news agencies who supply news to newspapers and other media organisations around the world. And you could see COVID coming. And then we had the people who ended up isolating at Arrow Park because they'd come from Wuhan. And I was getting worried. I was getting getting worried. And then um, I had to... And then when it started, um, I had to take a couple of weeks off because I couldn't cope with couldn't cope with it all mm -hmm. um and bbc were brilliant at supporting me with my mental health and things like that yeah. and they were really good at um helping me through it and helping me get back but that played into my kind of anxieties and my uh, the fact that i don't have any confidence to deal with like these kind of mm. major situations because i've been fortunate enough not to be involved in anything tragedy or anything like that in my in my personal life so I, I, I never dealt with that and then I'm just not a confident person I'm not the kind of person who would go to a party and randomly walk around the room and start talking to people I'd always feel like I was intruding and then I'd think oh god I'm nothing to say and then I'd be thinking I'd be internally monologuing thinking god I've been studying now for three minutes and I've not said anything and I've nothing to say uh, and, I, and I don't fit in and so kind of private me is not antisocial but I, I I don't particularly like big events and big parties and and that kind of thing but it's bizarre when you get in front of a radio mic or if you're in front of a camera you, I, I become a different Steve Saul yeah um 
and it's bizarre. Like when I'm on the radio, this is so bizarre. I used to think I was talking just to my hairdresser, the guy who runs the, the barbers on Preston bus station, because I knew he used to listen to Rock FM all the time. So I knew he would be listening. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, I was imagining Steve, the guy who runs the, the barbers on the station, listening to me. So I, I, he was the person I was talking to. Yeah. And I'm on the telly. Um, I imagine I'm talking to my gran because um, she always used to watch when she was alive what I was doing. So. Mm -hmm she's in my head talking to her so although you are speaking to thousands of people you're just speaking to one person and I think that's how my mind tricks itself yeah yeah I think that's a good idea and as well when you are talking on the radio and like with the tv like you are with the tv you're looking right at us but then the radio it does feel like you're speaking to just one person so I think that's a really good like method but mm. I, I'm the same with parties though, because I feel like when when all this COVID restrictions have eased, there's no excuse for me not to go to them if I'm invited. And I'm... Well, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, <laughs> I think I'm going to feel the pressure to go to some as well. In fact, I will be glad to see people because it's been hard not to see people. So and <laughs> then I'll have nothing to say because I've not done anything for a year other than come to work and go home. But you've um, obviously been working throughout the pandemic. How's the process of delivering the news sort of changed in that time? I presume there's, well, I know there's less people in um, Media City, in the BBC buildings. How's the process sort of changed for you? Um, we completely had to rethink how we make the most watched TV programme on television in the Northwest within like two days. So going from crews that went out and about, reporters that went out and about to suddenly having to rethink, is it safe to go out? Are we putting ourselves at risk? Are we putting other people at risk? So in the past, we would have been quite picky about using a video call interview. We had started to use them slowly, Skype interviews and bits and pieces, but it would only be in situations where we desperately couldn't get a camera or a crew or someone to film that person face to face and get a, what we would describe as a quality interview yeah. um and now well you just have to watch the program or any news that most of it's on skype zoom or facetime or some mobile device um in some ways it has made it easier to get hold of people because they're less intimidated talking into a laptop or they're less intimidated talking into a phone yeah. um than it would be if we turned up with one of our big cameras and a big fluffy mic and sticking it in their face when essentially they're just talking into the phone and that's something they got used to doing in their own personal lives anyway to keep up to date with friends and, and family so uh, well we aim for a quality report and the quality technical quality report we will accept a slight um, uh, lowering of quality by using a, a, a digital call uh, and a video call for an interview in the office the reporters all used to trek into Media City for nine o'clock for our morning meeting. And now that's all, all held virtually. There's only a kind of a handful of people in the newsroom in the morning first things and reporters will get deployed to their story from home. Mm. Um, and then only come into the office if they absolutely need to, if they need to use some of the editing facilities here, if they can't edit remotely or at home. Um, so yeah, in terms of everything that we do and how we get the programme on the air, where we sit in the gallery obviously the social distancing in the gallery with perspex screens in between all the positions one-way systems in the office 
yeah. that kind of thing. You can't sit one on one with an editor to edit a piece because you're in a you'll be in a small enclosed space. So you kind of have to perch at the door to stick your head around what's going on. Yeah. Or if you're out and about doing a what we call a shoot edit, where you edit your piece with the reporter on location at the story at UI, you can't sit in the van next to them and watch the edit. They have to do like a Zoom edit wow. with the reporter in their car and the camera operator in the in the work van doing the edit and making the making the cuts and the decisions remotely. So it, it has changed. It has changed a lot. I'm hoping it will go back some normality i think there is a bit of zoom fatigue but in terms of um um using technology to gather news i think it will wake make us think about how we can use mobiles and kind of mobile technology more efficiently than we have been doing in the past and there was a big move to that anyway but this has just kind of uh, zoomed it up uh, zoomed it up <laughs> <laughs> a lot quicker than, um, than than it was happening in the first place yeah, I was just wondering if, um, like, if people who are working offices will go back. Well, I presume sort of, like you said, for your meeting that you have with the whole team, I guess, like, and people will return, do you think, to being in the office and the, at the desks, on the news desks? Or do you think uh, some people will work from home? Do you think that'll be an option? I think there'll be a hybrid mix. I yeah. think some people will come in some days and if they can, depending on what they're doing, would work from home or work remotely. There's no, <clears throat> I think the days of us all rushing into Media City for nine o'clock for a meeting where we sat around in a huddle have yeah. certainly gone and that will stay virtual. Reporters will start from home rather than coming in. Um, I want to see people back because it's, it's hard as well because there's a lot to do. You know, it, it is great working from home, but you have to find work for those people to do at the same time so you're doing stuff in the office but you're also on the phone telling your colleague could you do this could you do that when if they were just sat three desks along and then you can just yeah. say can you stick a call in trend set up an interview that kind of stuff so yeah it would make things a bit slicker um but i think it will be a bit of a hybrid mix of work from home come in if you can I just hope there's not a return to huge traffic jams trying to get into work for nine o'clock because the best thing, the only good thing about this pandemic is that they can actually travel from Preston to, to Manchester in about 35 minutes rather than trying to get there for nine o'clock and it taking an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah, when I when we had like one lecture a week in Salford in sort of September time, I used to do M65, M6, Oh, was it no M sixty one? But then I'd get off onto the is it the A five seventy rather than do A5, the three tunnels? Oh, A five eighty through Salford. A, yeah, A five eighty rather than the um, the concrete tunnels because they're always worse. But then my sound yeah. takes me that way back, which I, I'm not the best with directions. But I I'd give it a good hour when I when I did mm. that. But yeah, because it's just a nightmare around there. It's all the different motorways joining. Um, yeah, the traffic was horrible before, but now you can just kind of sail through. I don't know. Well, it's a good thing for me sat in the car, but it's probably not good for the the economy and everything else because people aren't going to where they need to be. No. And also, I guess the, the buildings at the BBC, they're quite big buildings. And I guess the there's not as much of buzz in terms of all the people walking around. So I guess that'll be nice when, when more people can come back, the, the buzz that'll be there again. 
It'd be great. There's colleagues I've not seen for a year. I mean, I've seen them on Zoom calls or I've spoken to them on the phone, but I've not seen them for a year, particularly our online teams, because they've been working from home mm-hmm. all the time. Basically, they took the computers home and that's where they've stayed. Um, and they've not come back into the office. So it would be nice to see people. And that buzz on a big breaking news story day, lots of people laughing about and running around and sorting stuff out. That's not there as much. Um, yeah, yeah, so it would be nice to see people again and get some more faces back in the building. I think that would be good. Definitely. Um, I want to go back to the, the radio and the TV. How, would, mm. how are they different in terms of when you're presenting? Obviously, we see you on the TV and we don't on radio, but is there, do you have a different style or is there a different difference between them, what you're saying? Um, content is always king. So whatever I'm doing on the radio or the telly, I, I want it to be interesting. I want it to be engaging. I want people to enjoy it even, and enjoy it is a funny word, especially when it comes to news, but I want it to be in a in a way that keeps people listening because at the end of the day, that's what we're here for. We want people to keep watching. We want people, people listening to the radio program they're listening to. So I'd always look at ways to try and present the content in a different way or a way that would make you sit up and, and listen and not turn over to something else be that the use of music sound effects um how creatively i treat the story that i'm doing um so i think those principles apply to all mediums tv radio and, and digital production um the, the honest truth is that telly is a bit of a faff because sometimes you're relying on other people camera if you've got a camera operator with you stuff we can do ourselves film on phones or film with our own cameras but you know you're waiting around generally um it's harder to edit because you need to cover the pictures up um and you can get away with lots more in radio because you can make the edits and people hopefully won't notice if you've done a good job Mm -hmm. um so there's lots of thinking about have i got enough shots have i got enough shots to cover in case i need to make an edit um in terms of getting it into the systems, you know, making sure we've put the right names on the captions that appear on screen, have I put the right technical commands, because quite a lot of it is automated. So I put my report in, but have I got a, a command in there to tell the gallery to actually play the report? Have I put the right times in for the strap to appear on screen? Um, so there's all that kind of telly faff mm-hmm. comes with it. Radio is a lot more immediate. And of course, telly, we've only got kind of we've got the breakfast bulletins in the morning and then three big bulletins throughout the day so we've only got it's kind of set points well if something happens in Manchester you could just run straight into the studio and and talk about it like one of the big stories I worked upon was the the sad deaths of the two police officers Fiona Bone and Nicola Hughes Mm. and the Dale Cregan story well we got a tip off about that from one of our regular Radio Manchester contributors who um, who happened to run a shop and a police officer was in his shop and he heard it all over his radio. So then he called us up to tell us what was going on. Um, so we managed to get a reporter on the scene and we kind of found out what was happening and we got it on the air about 40 minutes before anybody else did. Wow. And it's that immediacy of being able to run into a studio and just go on and say, look, this has just happened. We're just hearing about this in touch if you're nearby give us a call and that's how kind of we developed the story and the same for the Manchester riots um I think that's probably 2005 god is it that long ago 
Um, um, so I was on the air. No, it can't be 2005. Was it Radio Leeds? Anyways, the Salford and Manchester riots. And um, I, I was doing the drive time programme. And then we had reports of disturbances. And then in the end, um, I ended up, my programme used to be on five till six, but I ended up staying on the air 5pm until 9pm with like a rolling news format. Mm-hmm. Came off the air for three hours and then back on at midnight till 3am um, covering the story. So I, I love the immediacy of radio and the fact you can get instant reaction and you can get from the scene straight away, you can get it on. And I suppose it's a bit like that if you're on a rolling TV news channel, but again, it's the faff of setting up the link, getting the technicals right. Well, on radio, you can just stick a phone line up yeah. and then and then you're live and you're on. Um, so, you know, content and how what you deal with it are the same for whatever platform you're on. You just need to make it good and interesting. But nothing beats the immediacy of radio because you can just do it at the drop of a hat and, you know, you're on talking about it. Yeah, definitely. Um, do you have any, you mentioned a few stories there, but do you have any stories that you've reported on that um, maybe you enjoyed or that stand out to you or something that you feel honoured to report on? Um, I was looking at Rock FM. I got to meet Tom Finney before he went down um, to pick up his knighthood from the Queen. I met him at Preston Station and uh, I got him on the platform before he went down. So that was nice to meet Tom Finney. And he was the um, the chairman of Red Rose Radio Rock FM, and um, so I met him at one of the anniversary uh, celebrations that they had as well. So really lucky to meet Sir Tom and to get my picture with him. Um, what else? See, at Rock FM, we used to do fun stuff. So um, there was this crazy American who always used to come over to ride on the Big Dipper or the Big One at Blackpool Pleasure Beach to try and break world records, and he'd spend something like three months, three months on nonstop on the roller coasters. Oh, so you go along and interview him on the actual roller coaster itself. So he's just sat there, you know, because he's used to it, and yeah. I'm screaming my head off <laughs> trying to <laughs> trying to interview him at the same time. Um, so they stick out because they're fun. Um, it is generally, sadly, it's kind of like the big tragic mm. stuff that kind of springs to mind. Obviously, I mentioned um, the police women who who died, um, and of course, more recently, the Manchester bomb um we came in and i was doing social media stuff for radio manchester and for northwest tonight um through the night and just how we reacted to that in the in the days and weeks after and i think you know i I do love the buzz of a breaking story if there's something significant and if we can get into rolling news mode i i like that and i miss doing that on the radio um and when I've presented programmes, it's nice to get, you know, I'm lucky enough to get to meet people when people used to come into this building, when we used to have guests. Oh, I long for guests to come back in, but you did get to meet celebrities who'd come in for to be on the breakfast sofa in the morning. So, you know, we do our own interviews with those later in the day. So you're honoured to meet some, some of the big named people as they come in. Um, and equally meeting politicians as well, like prime ministers and stuff and getting a an interview with prime ministers and leaders of the opposition and things like that. So it's always a a privilege to meet those pe- sort of people. <laughs> but then you remember the fun people like when Basil Brush came in. Yeah. Um, now I don't think I'm breaking any trade secrets by saying that Basil Brush is not real, but <laughs> it is just it's it's just bizarre because you are actually talking to the puppet yeah. and not the person operating the puppet. So 
that, that's quite those surreal moments when you're sat talking to a basil brush <laughs> and being it totally believable at the same time. And then, you know, you can come across any anybody in any walk of life on any story, doesn't matter who they are, famous or not. If they've got a good story to tell and an interesting story to tell, then it's always an honour to meet them and to try and tell their story. Um, uh, so that, you know, it's, and I love the fact it's different every day. Yeah. You, obviously, there's the way news works. There is a lot of planned stuff. So, you know, some things you can anticipate, but then other stuff really happens and it's not anticipated and it's how you deal and react to that and I like that mix yeah well thank you very much for chatting um I've really I've really enjoyed that no it's been great so it's, uh, it's been nice to answer questions rather than ask questions which is a uh, it's the other way around for me so thank you very much for being kind <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. To keep up to date with all things from a Lancashire Lass, follow on Facebook and Instagram at from a Lancashire Lass.